ready. Who here likes riddles? Tell me somebody likes riddles. All right, a couple of people willing to admit that they like riddles. I'm gonna start easy, gonna start easy. This is going somewhere and we're gonna build up to the big reveal here. Uh, how many months have 28 days? Oh, that was easy. All right, all right. He had his, somebody had their coffee. Somebody's ready to go. All right, they're gonna increase in complexity from there. Um, I belong to you, but others use me more. What am I? Oh, I already stumped everybody. Oh, they're only gonna get harder from here. Your name. Ooh, yeah, you like that one? Okay, um, Kate's mother has three children, Snap, Crackle, and... Kate, yeah, somebody had Kate, some people said pop. Oh, another cup of coffee if you said pop. And Marv's got it ready out there. Go help yourself. You need to pay attention here today. Um, what do the letter T and an island have in common? I, I never got this one. I wasn't going to get this one. Both are in the middle of water. Uh, that, that's, kind of, that's kind of like a wah-wah one there. All right. Okay, uh, uh, we'll do one more here and then the big one here. Uh, what gets bigger the more you take away? A hole, all right, yeah, back to an easy one. Need to build up the confidence. Now here's the one, here's the one. If you have me, you will want to share me. If you share me, you will no longer have me. What am I? A secret. Ooh, scratching their chin there. Ah, that's the lead-in because Paul has been revealing a secret or in today's passage, what we're gonna read about, it's about a mystery. What people in the past conceived of or thought of as a mystery. How can we understand this? How can we wrap our head around this? How can we know what is this? What is this thing that has been this mystery? It has seemed almost like this secret, yet it has been revealed in a word. It is the gospel. It is grace. Paul has been revealing this to the church in Ephesus and to us. God has been revealing the secret. He doesn't want it to be a secret anymore. He wants it to go out so it is not hidden from anyone any longer. We're gonna read a big chunk in Ephesians today as, as has been our habit for the past five weeks. So please pay attention, listen up here for God's word. But I encourage you to listen now today for the mystery as Paul is describing it and the mystery as he is revealing it to us. So let's listen up here for God's word. Ephesians chapter three. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then you're going to notice a little dash there. What you're about to experience is called a digression. So he's about to digress for a long time. And we're going to get into the importance of this digression. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Ugh. My, my phone. That is, here it is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that though the that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. 
I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. Well, we're gonna get into identity. What do we think about Paul's identity of self right here? It, 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 gets, it gets complicated, but we're gonna unpack it. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. I love that one, the boundless riches of Christ. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I, I gotta read that one again. Sorry, if you're not paying attention, listen up because I'm gonna keep reading until it soaks in. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. If you have been reading through the book of Ephesians, you go through the first two chapters, chapters one and two, and you're just electrified. He has hit us with so many big ideas, big concepts, this big revelation. It just keeps moving and it just holds our attention wrapped. And then all of a sudden you hit chapter three. And if we're gonna be honest, chapter three is where our mind starts to wander because it seems that Paul's mind starts to wonder. He starts with this thought, I, Paul, uh, what does he say there? Um, for this reason, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he literally makes uh, this sort of, just this digression in the literature called a digression. He'll pick up again in verse 14 with the same sentence. Oh yeah, 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 what was I saying? I, Paul, a prisoner for you Gentiles for this sake. And he gets back with his train of thought. So this lands on us. Why this digression? Why did God feel it important? Why did Paul feel it so important to digress for a bit to tell us something about himself? Uh, it took me a couple times uh, to read it and get it, to be perfectly honest. I, I read through and I'm like, what, what is this all, all about? I, I wanna jump ahead to the prayer for Ephesians in the second half of chapter three. I really wanna jump ahead to chapter four where he's gonna start to unpack even more about our unity as the body of Christ and how every part has a role to play. I like, you really wanna jump over this little, um, this digression of his, but I just kept reading it and reading it. And then I landed on that word for this purpose. Paul here is actually opening up himself, becoming vulnerable, becoming transparent, revealing something not so much about God, but something about himself and God's work through his life. And in doing this, he's actually telling us very intimately about his purpose, his purpose, his calling, how Paul, oh, teaser here, little plug for the class right after our worship, how he connected with his calling in Jesus Christ and his work in the church. And so this isn't so much this uh, kind of just divergence, you know, this isn't this, this digression, this is his declaration. 
in essence, this becomes his declaration of his purpose and his calling in Christ. And what I want to do now for our time here today is I unpack that purpose, but I want to couch it in these terms, that Paul is going to declare that if God can use a mess like him to fulfill his mission, <laughs> he can use anyone. The hope for us is that God is going to be using messy people, messy people with messed up lives to fulfill his mission. And if we're going to be honest about ourselves, then this is going to be very good news. <laughs> God is not only looking for the perfect ones, the polished ones, the ones with the right pedigree, the ones who have it all together, because he'd be looking a long time for that person, right? He's going to use messy people to fulfill his mission. Now, you'll have to excuse me. I'd been reading a book um, called Three Big Questions That Every Teenager Must Answer by Kara Powell. And in it, she just does a great work just unpacking the three big questions that every teenager and really every person is trying to figure out in their life. Who am I? Where am I? And what am I doing? <laughs> Who am I is this question of our identity. Who am I? Who am I really? The where am I is the question of our fit or our belonging. Where am I in God's creation? Where do I fit? Where do I belong? And then what am I doing? What's my purpose? How am I going to make a difference in the world? And all three of those are essential for teenagers, of course, but for all of us. And if we're honest, I think a lot of us into our 20s, into our 30s, into our 40s, into our 50s, into our 60s, maybe we're still wrestling with some of those foundational questions of our place of identity, our place of belonging, and our purpose in life. I can't help but think and believe and be grateful the fact that Ephesians has actually been digging down deeply into these three questions. Really, one of the ways, one of the kind of rubrics we could put over Ephesians in our reading of it is to just say, how is this answering these three big questions of life? What is Ephesians telling me about my identity, about my place of belonging, and about my purpose in life? So that's all I'm gonna do here for today. I'm gonna try and get through the first two a little quicker because I wanna spend the bulk of our time together dealing with that third and the question of purpose. But he begins on our union in Christ. And this is our identity. Let's just go to the literature. Let's go to the science. What is our identity? Our identity is that intersection, that place where we're figuring out our beliefs, our values, and our personality. And we know that our identity kind of takes on different roles and works itself out in different ways. Ways How we identify ourselves is going to impact how we act and live out our lives. For example, I am not a police officer. I'm a pastor. I'll be driving down the road and somebody will go flying by me at an unsafe speed. And am I, think, I may think that is terribly unsafe. That was awfully rude. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt somebody else. I may even mumble some other things under my breath. But I'm not going to go chasing after this person and call citizens arrest and try and slap them with a ticket because I do not identify as a police officer. But if a police officer sees somebody flying down the road, he is going or she is going to act on that identity and the situation as it demands. How we identify ourselves will impact profoundly 
how we react to situations and circumstances in life. Now, the interesting thing is, how are we acting or reacting to situations and circumstances in life? We might be having an identity crisis if our reactions and actions change or if we don't even know how to react. I read a little article in preparing for this. It says, how to tell if you are having an identity crisis. Who here has ever felt that they've had an identity crisis? Nobody's going to raise their hand, (laughs) but we've all felt it, the identity crisis. So I thought this was pretty insightful. You might be having an identity crisis if you can answer yes to, I don't know, we'll just say four out of seven of these three things. And if you answer yes to four out of seven of these three things, then talk to me afterwards. We'll help. Um, Identity crisis. You change with your environment. If you reflect upon your life, do you find that you actually change, adapt, shift to your environment? Uh, Number two, your relationships mold you. Yes, we should be impacted and we have an effect on one another, but do your relationships actually mold you? You change your opinion often. If you would look over the past couple weeks, months, years, whatever, would you say your opinion has changed deeply and often, frequently? Uh, Number four, you don't like being asked about yourself. Just being asked about yourself raises anxiety, stress, fears, confusion. Number five, you get bored quickly. You find you're getting bored quickly, says you're maybe wrestling with an identity crisis. Number six, your relationships are shallow. Because you are having an identity crisis, it is almost impossible for you to go deep into relationships with other people. Number seven, you just don't trust yourself. Now, when I read that, I think I went into identity crisis because I was like, I think I can answer yes to several of these things. But that drove me, of course, immediately right back to Paul. Who am I in Christ? What has Paul been telling us over and over and over again in so many ways for the past two chapters? You are no longer identified as a sinner, but now you are a saint. You stand righteous in Jesus Christ. You are a child of God. You are accepted in the beloved. You were chosen before the creation. You were called you were predestined you who were far have been brought near you are now a part of the body of christ and you have a role to play in it you have been adopted into the family of god you are being built into a household you are now the dwelling place for the spirit of god a holy temple on and on and on he has been pounding into us our identity in union with jesus christ And all I can do is keep trying to pound it into you. Embrace your identity in Jesus Christ and who he says you are in union with him. Embrace your identity in Jesus Christ, my friends. We know that we are called human beings, right? And that's kind of a lofty ideal. I'm glad we often identify ourselves as human beings, right? (laughs) But what we experience so often in life is human doings, right? The world will always tell us that our value, our importance, our worth will be based in our performance. And if you fail, you are a failure. And if you mess up, then you're messed up. 
And if somebody breaks up with you, then you are hopelessly broken. The world is always pounding our identity based in our performance, based in our doing. Please, my people, embrace who God says you are through Jesus Christ, your Savior and Lord, and be in him, be found in him, be secure in him, be in union with Jesus Christ, and let your identity begin to flow from that. So you don't change according to the situation. You go into a situation and seek to change it for the glory of God. That you aren't so much changed by relationships, although it should be give and take, but you can go and shape others to relate closer to Jesus Christ. That when you are asked about who you are, you can see that as an opportunity to share the glory of God and what he has done in and through your life. Embrace your identity in Jesus Christ. Okay, so Paul has been pounding that into us and he's going to keep pounding this identity that we have in Jesus Christ. He's also said profound things about our place of belonging, our place of fit, our fit in being in unity as the body of Christ. Um, I went to another quiz. We're gonna pull this one out too. And I really, this one caught my attention because the title of this quiz was, Why Do You Feel So Disconnected? It's like, as soon as we name this Connections Church, I just have this like, you know, uh, an alert on my computer, you know, and you, know, you can set those alerts or when things pop up. Anytime I see the word connected or disconnected, it's like, ooh, what's it gonna say? Because this really gets at the heart of our mission, of course. And again, we will be unpacking this more in our membership class, but what does it mean to connect with God? to have union with God, to connect with others, to become a part of the body of Christ, to connect with the world through serving and using our gifts, the purpose question, which we're about to get into. But this quiz was saying, why do you feel so disconnected? So let's be honest with ourselves. And again, seven questions it had here. You might feel disconnected because of trauma. So the fact of the matter might be that you've experienced a trauma in your life that has wounded your psyche, damaged your soul, and has made it very difficult for you to trust, to embrace, to be vulnerable, all that stuff with other people. And if so, I would encourage you to seek healing and restoration through Jesus Christ and to seek help in that area. Uh, second, you lacked parental attachment. <laughs> this article got into some things just to say that we needed to be connected with in deep ways by parents and caregivers, loved ones as a child. And if that was missing from your life, then it's gonna be harder for you to find deep connections later in life. It said you fear intimacy and vulnerability. Maybe you just need to be honest with yourself. Maybe I'm just afraid to go a little bit deeper with other people. Number four, it said you feel trapped in a false narrative. I was like, well, what's that one all about? It, it did a great job then. It kind of said, maybe you're just in this cycle where you keep telling yourself every time you have the opportunity to connect with people or to be a part of something bigger, you kind of tell a story of, oh, you know, it's just never gonna work out or, oh, they're gonna turn their back on me or, ah, oh, probably isn't that important. Anyways, you just keep telling this false narrative that's always gonna prevent you from going deeper into relationships with people. Uh, number five, um, you're a networker, not a relationship builder. That, this was just calling people out. If you just try to use people, <laughs> you're never gonna go deep with people. You're never gonna connect with people. You need to be open to the relationship beyond just networking. Uh, then it just gave two that were just kind of just right there. Um, social media. The fact of the matter is if we're just too 
in front of social media, dwelling on social media, uh, the results are disconnection from other people and other relationships that we build into, or second, clinical depression, and you need help. There's a physiological reality to your disconnection that you can and should seek help with. And of course, we wanna be a community that would support people if they're wrestling with any or all of these areas. As we go into our membership class last week, we just call it out. We have something here, connections, that we talk about signs of belonging. We know that we want this to be a place of connection, a place of belonging for people. We know that that is what we are called to through our unity in Jesus Christ as the body of Christ. And so we've just said, what are some signs of belonging? And I'm going to repeat them real quickly here. And these are just for you to reflect upon because these aren't things that we kind of want to shove you into so much as we would say, if these are reflective of your life or if you want to work on making them more reflective of your life, we think that a deep and profound and abiding sense of belonging can grow up in you as a part of the church here in Connections. So we had talked about signs of belonging include things like being a bringer. When you belong to something, when it is uplifting to you, encouraging to you, inspiring to you, fun for you, meaningful for you, you just naturally want to bring people to be a part of it. That is what the first disciples did. They brought people to Jesus. Oh, wow, you got a problem. I know a guy can help. His name's Jesus. Let's go talk to him. Oh, wow, you're lonely. Well, come on and follow us as we follow Jesus Christ. I mean, they were just always bringing people to Jesus because they felt a sense of belonging and they knew that that belonging was not limited <laughs> but open to all who want to come to him. We talk about a sign of belonging being a member, being a member in a small group where you are named and numbered. We want to give you a name and we want to put a number on you, 007. No, I think that movie came out this weekend. No, what do we mean by that is that the Bible is actually just so honest and transparent that Jesus wasn't ambiguous about who his inner circle would be. He named them and he numbered them. You are my 12, Peter and Matthew and Simon. And, oh, Simon became Peter and you know the deal. So. He named them. He numbered them. He called the disciples by name. He said, you're my 12. We just think it's that important for you to be in a group of people where you're named and numbered, where it's not ambiguous to know whether or not you belong with that group of people. So we just think that that's a sign of a deep sense of belonging. Uh, we talk about serving as a, as a sign of deep belonging that you have a role to play, a purpose to fulfill, as we'll begin to unpack here in just a moment, that you're just gonna naturally step into using some of the gifts that God gave you to serve in the, the body of Christ, creates that sense of belonging. Being a giver is a sign of belonging. We give to, we pour out to, we sacrifice for things that are meaningful for us, and we want you to identify as a pastor. I always joke about it, but it's real. I have the honor of being called Pastor George, and every time I get called Pastor George, it's that little reminder, it's that little reset button. I need to be shepherding, pastoring, caring for the people that God has put in front of me and in my life. And that is a deep sense of belonging. So we have signs of belonging that we want to invite you to here at Connections. 
uh, church. But let's talk a little bit now about this idea of purpose. Paul has given us our identity in union with Jesus Christ. He's given us our identity and belonging and unity with a body of Christ. But now here in this section, Paul is actually, in this digression, has revealed something about his purpose. He states, I am a prisoner, not of Rome. Isn't that interesting? Right there out of the very gate there. I'm a prisoner in chains, held in captivity. He's revealed this to them. About three years he's been in prison. He says, but not, not that's a profound worldview and identity and belonging and purpose shift that you could be sitting in a prison, but the way that you write about it instinctively, naturally, what flows from you is that you just don't identify as being a prisoner of Rome, but as being a prisoner of Jesus Christ. But that's not an oppressive, that is not a bad thing, that is not a hurtful thing for Paul. That is a beautiful part of his identity. As he gets into the second half of the digression, he'll say, I've been called as a servant of Jesus Christ. If we look at Paul's life, I mean, Paul was just a tortured soul in so many ways. Paul knew his past was filled with things that he maybe would have rather erased given his own brother's times when he persecuted the church, sought to destroy the church, gave approval to people actually being martyred for the cause of the church. He has profound wounds and hurt. He's a tortured soul in so many ways, but he has turned this now to the very purpose and his calling he has in building up and growing and being a part of the church, the very body of Christ. And this purpose is now guiding, directing all this episode. And what he wants for the church in Ephesus what he wants for us who read this, what God wants for us is to have this deep and profound and uh, wonderful sense of purpose that brings us peace. The peace that he talked about so much last week in that message, the peace that comes with our purpose and fulfilling our calling for Jesus Christ. I listened to a podcast this past week on Hidden Brain because the title of it was Finding Your Purpose. I was like, oh, I'll read that. Maybe that'll help me figure some things out. It's pretty good. It has some great insights. But the, the big insight that I took away from it was just the beginning. In the beginning, they start off with this question. If you could have a deep sense of purpose or a million dollars, what would you take? What would you take? A deep sense of purpose or a million dollars? Don't raise your hand. I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. But it's, it's kind of a question if it was ever really put to us. Well, the person that was being interviewed went on to say, as you might guess, our instinct would probably be to say, oh, take the million dollars and run. But this person went on a great length to kind of describe having a sense of purpose is worth infinitely more than even a million dollars. When you have a sense of purpose, you make choices with ease. When you have a sense of purpose, you actually stay out of debt and you will earn more over the course of your lifetime. When you have a sense of purpose, that becomes kind of the even keel of your life and you will be secured from extreme highs and extreme lows that can make you manic or depressive. When you have a sense of purpose, it will actually deepen your relationships because you will be able through a security to go deeper. It was, it, was, it was actually quite fascinating. And it really just reinforced what God has already revealed for us. That when our purpose and our calling is secure in Christ, we are safe, we are secured, then we are insulated. We can have direction. We have a calling. We have a calling in this purpose with Jesus Christ. 
How I, uh, I always love the book of, of Jeremiah, and, and there's so many great quotes and pithy reminders in, in Jeremiah about his purpose and his calling. But I love how it begins. Anybody remember Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, the very first words that God says to Jeremiah? When he was just really just a child, the very first words he said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah had a profound sense of his calling through God, his purpose, his mission. And he lived out of that purpose. And his calling was a hard one. I, I, I could go off and we, we could go deep into his life, but he had a very difficult calling. I mean, for more than 30 years, he had what we would say a very ineffectual ministry. <laughs> he was preaching to the nation and the nation wasn't hearing the message until it was thrown into uh, its exile into Babylon. But he had a sense of purpose, a sense of calling that directed him throughout his life. God made him, God knew him before he lived out one of those days. I saw this as an example years ago is, 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 is in, probably in youth group and I'm sure I used it in, in youth group. So you're gonna get like the youth group example here today. Everybody ready for the youth group example here today? All right, here's some, some youth group kind of fun prop stuff to drive this message home, I hope. Anybody know what this is? A cheese grater, a cheese grater. Isn't a cheese grater an insane thing? Think about the cheese grater. How do you think the cheese grater came to be? Was, you know, somebody sitting around a table with a giant wheel of cheese and they just happened to have this big chunk of metal that somebody put all these holes through and like, hey, let's grab that piece of metal and see what happens. They're like, whoa, hey, look, at it, it grates cheese. Who would have ever, I mean, no, 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 no. Somebody put forethought into it. That's just an interesting thing, isn't it? Somebody had the forethought, had the insight, had the vision to say, I'm going to create something that I can go to that big chunk of cheese instead of having to just, you know, rip chunks of it with my bare hands. What if I had something that could just like make these little shavings from it? And then you get, and then this person got more creative. What if I could have like tiny little shavings or big slices or big long stringy chunks? You know, I mean, isn't, isn't that a crazy thing? Didn't just stumble into it. Didn't somebody just like take a big rusty old chunk of metal and start running it over wheel? No, they're like, I, I need something <laughs> to shred the cheese. <laughs> so they made it. And then we use it to fulfill the purpose, the calling of the cheese grater. Let me say this. Now I'll pull this one out. Anybody know what this is? I wanted to actually confuse some people. So I was like, I need to find something maybe is a little bit more confusing. Does anybody know what this guy is? A Jews, all right. Apparently people are smarter than me. I remember when Robin showed up on these, I was like, what on earth are you going to do with that? I think that scares me. Do I beat people with it? What is happening with this thing? Talk about purpose and calling. Now, if you're working in the kitchen, is one of these better than the other one? This one's greater. Sorry. Okay. Okay. All right. So I had. All right, so I had to. I had to go to youth group mode and, and say that one. Here's the thing in the body. Okay. Here's the thing in the body of Christ, and what Paul is going to start unpacking more and more for us. 
we have this thing in the body of Christ where sometimes we look at somebody and they're like, man, do you, do you see how Tina and Josue and Brittany, like, they, they led worship? Man, that was incredible. Man, I, man, I wish I could lead worship like that. God always uses people like that to do great things. What could I give? Man, I just, I just know how to, like, love kids and serve kids and hang out with little kids. Who's greater in the body of Christ? Paul's going to get into this for us. He's going to beautifully start to unpack. Listen, every one of you is going to have a unique purpose. And what I want for you is to not so much look at other people and feel jealous. Uh, maybe you get excited. Maybe you can be inspired. Maybe you can be mentored and you can grow with some of those things. But I want us to start working together in the body of Christ and understand that I'm going to fit each and every one of you together with this big, beautiful, grand purpose. And in this grand purpose, some of you are going to be cheese graters and some of you are going to be juicers. <laughs> some of you are going to be hands. Some of you are going to be feet. Some of you are going to lead worship. Some of you are going to share the good news. Some of you are going to care for kids. Some of you are going to open up your homes to strangers. Some of you are going to be super successful in business and give generously to allow things to happen. Some of you are going to be so good at one-on-one -on -one relationships that people are going to seek you out and they're just going to want to sit with you over a cup of coffee so you can speak into their soul. Some of you are going to be really good staying in front of groups and it doesn't freak you out. So you're going to go and get in front of the group and tell everybody about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you, all of you, are going to have a purpose. And I want for you to discover that purpose. Paul here in this section, rather than this, this just, you know, this, you know, digression that means nothing, he's revealed something beautiful about figuring out who God created him to be and how God was going to use that in the body of Christ. And by the way, I keep having to check the time because I have like a hundred more thoughts and I can't share them, them all. You know, it wasn't an easy road for Paul to figure out that purpose. He got called and he started to share the good news, but then he went into a season of training that lasted nearly a decade before he went out on his missionary journeys. And this is coming at the end of those missionary journeys before he's about to lose his life, where he can confidently declare some of these things with purpose. I think I just wanna say that to say, if you don't have it all figured out just yet, that's perfectly fine. Because if we can help you get your identity grounded in Jesus Christ, if we can welcome you, embrace you to be a part of the body of Christ, what we can then start working on together to say, now let's figure out where you fit. Let's figure out if you're a hand, if you're a foot, if you're an eye, if you're an ear, whatever your part is, let's start figuring out that together and celebrate that together and start working together for the greater purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul has revealed for us. Because this great mystery has been revealed. What was unknown has now known. What were two are now one. What was weak is now considered strong. Now, by the grace of God, we come together. We fulfill these purposes. We fulfill this calling. And that is the sense, the, the heart, the essence of what we want to do as we continue to move through the book of Ephesians and as we move together as Connections Church. The thing where this is going to go now, let me just, uh, let me do this. Tina, Josue, Brittany, come on up, because whenever you come up, I know I have to drive it home here. One of the great things that Paul is going to do now is he's going to start teasing out what living out this purpose 
is going to start to look like. He's going to lift up a beautiful prayer for us next week. And then he's going to go deeper into this unity that we have in the body of Christ. And he's going to start to give us some really specific and practical things. And we're going to be able to use those for some launching boards, kind of some springboards to figure out our calling, our purpose, our missional mandate here and now as Connections Church in this time, in this place, and your part in it. He's going to talk about like husbands and wives live this way and children live this way and contextually like slaves and owners and we'll, we'll unpack some of that too. You're, you're going to live this way, but he's going to help us to start to understand our fit, our place, our role, our place of being and living our purpose in the body of Christ. Let me end then. I'll just wrap it up here to the end. I've shared this several times um, that I would hope that all of us um, have a daily office. I always like to call it a daily office because that just kind of raises the importance. It makes it matter. I hope all of us have a daily office, a meeting with God. If you can meet with him for three hours like Martin Luther, I have so much to do. I have to pray for three hours before I get going. Great. If you can just meet with God for 15 minutes, great. But have a meeting with God every day. And over the course of Ephesians here, and as we move through this, just keep leaning into that time through some of these passages that we've studied or maybe some of your own prayers and passages, reinforce your union with Jesus Christ. Reinforce your unity as a part of the body of Christ and start leaning towards your purpose, your calling and how God is gonna use you in the body of Christ. And here's what I've said before and I'll say it again. One of the things that I recite to myself and I often recite this, by the way, on walks with my dog so that I, uh, I, I can kind of get out and I can get alone and I can say this out loud and not have people think that I'm crazy walking down the street here. But I'll say, you've heard me say this before, George, you are a part of the body of Christ. You are a part of the body of Christ. And then I remind myself, Christ loves you. Christ died for you. Christ rose for you. Christ is coming again for you. Just good reminders to, to think about every day. Christ loves you. Christ died for you. Christ rose for you. And Christ is coming again for you. And then I say this, without you, Christ's body is broken. Without you, Christ's body is broken. Now, do the plans of God fail without George Saylor? Do they hang on George Saylor's shoulders? Of course not. But God has been so vulnerable, so open, so embracing of us that he is actually telling us, without you, George, there's a brokenness in the body of Christ. And I believe in faith that God could fix it if I ever mess up. But he's still saying, George, without you, without the part that I've created you to play, there's a sense of brokenness in the body of Christ. So embrace that calling, embrace that purpose, embrace that part of the mission that only you can fulfill in your family, in your marriage, with your kids, in your place of work, in our church. Begin to fulfill that mission. Let me pray for us and then let's worship God.